0: Uh, Colossians chapter 4. Today is actually our last sermon in our mini-series called Pray, Go, and Speak. And so we took three weeks to look at verses 2 all the way down to verse 6 in Colossians chapter 4. It doesn't mean that we're done with the book of Colossians because there's a whole lot of text left. Actually, we have Uh, several more verses to cover, uh, which means we're going to have a new mini-series that we're going to deal with the last portion of chapter 4, and so I'm really excited about that. So if you will, uh, Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6, let's go ahead and read that text together uh, just to be reminded of of what we're studying the last several weeks. Paul writes, and he says uh, in verse verse 2, continue in prayer and watching the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am in bonds, that I may, may make it manifest as I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. And so we entitled this message, or this, excuse me, this series, Pray, Go, Speak, not your favorite Italian dish, but but we 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 based it out of those three commandments that we find in this portion of Scripture. And so the first week, we talked about perpetual prayer and how, how the Apostle Paul is writing this, and he's asking, imagine Paul is like one of our missionaries, right? We have missionaries that we support. We have missionaries that we pray for. Imagine Paul writing this letter of Colossians, and one of the intentions was to get his, his churches to pray for him, right? I mean, literally, that's what hap- is happening, Paul is asking them to continue in prayer. He even says, pray for us, and then he lists out some specific things. Pray for us that that God opens a door so that we can preach the gospel. And And we learned two weeks ago, God opens doors that no man can shut. God shuts doors that no man can open. Anytime God opens a door for us, it's always to speak the gospel. Does that make sense? We learned that one of the ways that God accomplishes that is through prayer. And, and, and I hope you've been praying for your own life, that God would give you those open doors of opportunity, right? That, that you would be praying that God would open those doors for you, and, and also it's a good thing to pray for our missionaries. I mean, that's what they ask for. Pray that the gospel keeps going in our mission field, whether it's Kenya or Zambia or Albania or Dominican Republic or Bolivia or Peru or any other countries where we have missionaries. We need to be praying that God is opening the doors of the gospel. Amen, Jay. (laughs) Okay. And let me just tell you, it's getting harder and harder to get missionaries around the world. Have you noticed that that travel is restricted? Have you noticed that there are some countries that have shut the doors to any foreigner or outsider coming in? That's not coincidence. That is a global system that, that is trying to limit ultimately the spread of the gospel. And you say, well, I disagree. Well, that's okay. You can be wrong. It's fine. Uh, because God is really interested in the world hearing the gospel and us making disciples of all nations. And, and we filter our worldview through the word of God. And so, and so that's really what's happening. We have missionaries in the queue, guys like Kel Horvath, that, that's trying to get to Hungary, that, that literally has had a shut door. Because Hungary says, we're not letting anybody in our country, especially from the United States. And now, he has an appointment with uh, the U.S. Embassy to get his visa approved to actually get to Hungary. So we need to keep praying for guys like Kale, because, because outside of God opening the door, they'll never get to where God has called them to get. Okay. And so we learned about perpetual prayer week one, but then we learned about week two. We learned about our walk, and God wants us to walk a certain way, and God wants us to walk toward certain people After we pray, we have to learn to walk right before we actually speak, and so we spent some time talking about our walk in Christ, and we learned that that's how our relationship with Christ really is defined. It's defined by a walk, and and to to walk, you have to take steps, right? You have to take steps, And, and so we learned that our walk in Christ is by faith. It's not by sight. Our walk in Christ is a walk after the Spirit not after the flesh. Our walk in Christ is a walk that's honest, not dishonest. It's in love. It's as children of light. It's worthy of the Lord. It pleases God. And ultimately, we're to walk in wisdom. And so I don't want to re-preach that to you. I'd like to re-preach that to you. We just don't have time this morning. So God says this is how we're supposed to walk in all these things. And then he says you need to walk toward them that are without and and those that are without are those that are without Christ. In other words, God God very specifically desires for us to go toward and seek out lost people. I'm glad two of you believe that. So so the rest of us need to man, we need to we need to be reminded that we got to walk toward the lost. We we have to carry the message of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to the lost. They're not going to knock our doors down to come in. We have to go get them. We have to go engage with them. And and, and even right before service, man, a great testimony of somebody just sharing the gospel at Target in the baby section. You know why? Because God opens doors of opportunity. And there are people that need to hear the gospel all around us. And so when we are on mission, we'll walk toward those people that need to hear the gospel. We pray first, We have a walk that that really represents Christ. And then the last thing is what we'll talk about today, speaking. We we have to speak. And and so Paul says in verse 6, and and this is kind of the the title of the message this morning, is seasoned speech. Seasoned speech. He says in verse 6, let your speech. Now remember, he, he had just asked those Colossian believers to pray for him and for his missionary team that they could speak the gospel, right? But then he, he actually, he kind of flips the script and he says, oh well, uh, by the way, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. And so uh, today in true Jay fashion, we're going to take one verse of scripture. And spend the next 40 minutes, all right? So let's pray. <laughs> let's pray. Pray for me. I'll pray for you. And let's, let's trust the Lord to give us what we need today. Father, we, we thank you again for the, the worship. We thank you for the praise. Uh, it's for you, uh, but God, it benefits us because we, we proclaim truths and promises that are true from your word about you. And uh, it teaches us. It encourages us. It, it gives us strength. It, 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 it gives us a song to sing because we have someone to sing about. And I'm thankful for that. And so, Lord, today, help us to to learn uh, from your word exactly what we need to hear. We talk about our speech today. Help us all to to learn some things so that when we pray and then when we walk, we say the the things that you would have us say. Uh, And help us to to honor you in everything that's said and done today. We ask your blessing on the service. We ask your Holy Spirit to teach us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so point number one in your notes is this. God desires for us to have gracious speech. It says in verse 6, let your speech be always, the first thing it says is with grace. And so God's desire is that we all have gracious speech. Paul's desire was that the Colossians would always have gracious speech. In other words, after we pray and after we have a right walk with God and a right walk toward the lost, God does want us to say something, right? He he wants us to open our mouth. He wants us to talk. And I I put it in my notes like this, all walk and no talk is not really a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it's it's not easy to walk as a Christian. I get it, man. You have struggles. I have struggles. We all struggle in our walk with the Lord. But But when we walk with the Lord in in love and in faith and in obedience and as children of light and all the things we talked about last week, even though we have a right walk, it doesn't necessarily mean we have a right talk. We can walk with God and never talk about God. And if we don't talk, you can't be a witness because witnesses testify. Does that make sense? If we were in a court of law, and God called you in, or the, excuse me, the judge called you in as a witness on a case, and they watched you walk from the back of the room to the front of the room and sit down in the witness stand. Everybody witnessed your walk, but what they really need to hear are your words. They need to hear your testimony concerning the case at hand. Nobody, no, no judge, no jury is going to say, you know that guy walked in like he knew what he was talking about. <laughs> I can just tell by the way he walked to that witness stand that he's telling the truth, even though he hasn't said anything. Nobody would ever say that. How foolish. And, and so listen, we, we can have a walk, but with no talk, it's not a witness. Let me also say, and here's where a lot of people get in, in trouble, some people have all talk and no walk. And, and what that does is it creates a a hypocritical witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And, and listen, the number one complaint or criticism against Christianity is they're all a bunch of, and you've heard the rumor on the street just like I have. Okay, so all talk and no walk means means that we represent a hyper, hypo, you know, hypocritical hypo, hypo whatever. We're hypocrites. Let me say it that way because it's a little easier in the English for this South Alabama boy. All walk and and no. I'll talk and no walk makes us ineffective. What, what we're saying doesn't match what we're living. And so people are going to say, well, you're really full of it because what you say and what you live are two different things. So God wants us to have gracious speech first and foremost. Okay, so what is, what is grace in the Bible? Grace is unmerited favor. In other words, grace, biblically defined, is, is getting something that you don't deserve. That's a good working definition of grace, and and there's another word in the Bible that gets used in the same context as grace, and that's the word mercy, and and mercy defined biblically is not getting what you do deserve, And, and so grace is unmerited favor. God says, let your speech be always with grace. In other words, with unmerited favor toward other people. In other words, don't give them what they deserve, give them grace. Now, how many of you already don't like where this sermon's going? Because I really like giving people what they deserve, right? All my people, raise their hand, okay? The rest of you are liars, all right, no problem. (laughs) God says we're called to give gracious speech to other people. Okay, Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 12 says this, the words of a wise man's mouth are what? are gracious. But the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. God, God says, if you have gracious words toward people, you are a wise man. You're a wise man when you exercise grace toward other people. So let, let's talk about what this, this speech with grace really represents. Number one in your, in your notes, this key is this. Gracious speech is always rooted in the scriptures. It's always rooted in the scriptures. It's rooted in God's word, and uh, one of the texts that we're going to look at is in Luke chapter four. And I don't want you to go to the next slide just yet, Derek. But but in your in your in your notes, you have a reference for Luke chapter four verses seventeen all the way to twenty-two. I don't want you to turn there, but just listen to the story. Jesus is in the synagogue, and as a guest teacher, uh, they allowed him to stand up and to teach in the synagogue, and so. Jesus Christ grabbed the scroll of Isaiah, unrolled that thing. You know, it didn't have chapters and verse marks like we have, but he, but he opened it to what we would call Isaiah 61. And the Bible says that when he when he found the place where it was written in Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Behold, he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and he sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened upon him. They all heard him read and they, they, they saw him close the book and sit down. And the Bible says in verse 21, he, he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture Fulfilled in your ears. And so Jesus rolls up guest speaker in church, you know, guest speaker in the synagogue, breaks out Isaiah 61, if you're a student of the Bible, he didn't finish verse 2, by the way. And as he, as he preaches the word of God, as he shares the scripture, and then says, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. I mean, he just presented God's word to the people. Now look at verse 22. And all bear him witness and wondered, listen, at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? What were the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth? It was the scriptures. And, and, And they heard the scriptures. And by the way, that 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 message that he preached out of Isaiah 61 was for the nation of Israel and for their deliverance and for their redemption and and for their healing. And and the Lord basically said, hey, this is available if you want it. And, And those people said, those are gracious words. Those are gracious words. They're full of grace. They're unmerited favor. We don't deserve that, and God wants to give that to us anyway. Do you understand? Do you see how that works? Now listen, if you read the rest of the passage, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but the rest of the passage goes, Jesus says, yeah, uh, you guys aren't going to really receive that. And so he had gracious words, but then he also had a little salt mixed in too, because they didn't repent at God's word. But I just want to make the point that gracious speech is not just telling people what they want to hear. Gracious speech is giving them what God says. God's Word says. It's giving them the unmerited promises and favor that come from God's Word. That's what gracious speech is. The second key in your notes is this. Uh, Gracious speech not only is rooted in the Scriptures, but number two, it edifies. In other words, it builds people up. It it, it builds them up. And we're going to look at Ephesians 4 and verse 29. It says this. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. And that word corrupt in your Bible means something that would bring about death, something that's decayed, something that's rotten. Let no rotten, corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, even when you smash your thumb with hand. Okay, I get it, you know, right? Okay, turn your halo down. All right. Don't let any of that come out of your mouth, but that which is, to the, is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. And so God says that gracious words build up. They build up, people. When we invest God's word, when we share the word of God into people's lives, those those are gracious words. They're able to edify. They're able to encourage. They're able to build up. And then lastly, out of that same verse, gracious speech ministers grace. Because because you, you share God's word, it ministers grace. And let me just... Again, make the practical point, if we never, if we pray and we walk and we never speak to people, well, you can't minister grace. You can't minister grace. You have to open your mouth. You have to communicate. You have to let words come out that are gracious words in order to minister to grace. I mean, listen, one of the chiefest ways you minister is through the spoken word. I and mean, that's what we're doing right now. I'm, I'm taking the Word of God and, and trying to minister or administer it to us as a church body, taking the spoken Word of God, of the inscripturated Word of God, for our edification and for our grace, right? We, we're trying to be ministered by grace, through grace, from God's Word. And so we have to open our mouth. And so God says, okay, number one, all of us need gracious speech. That means we've got to get in the book and know what God says, so we can share that with other people. We have to be discipled. We have to be trained. We have to spend time in God's word. There's nothing worse, there's nothing worse, man, that somebody that's religious and doesn't have anything to say on behalf of the Lord. There's nothing worse. There's nothing worse. There's just nothing worse. You know, there's just nothing worse. I I can't say it enough. Somebody that, that, that would never open their mouth for the cause of Christ. Listen, we don't need to be ashamed of Jesus. He's not ashamed of us. He wasn't ashamed of us when he died on that cross for our sin. He bore our shame. He, he suffered humiliation at the hands of sinful men. And because of his grace in our life, his unmerited favor, we can have salvation. We can have a relationship with him. We can have his word that comforts us and strengthens us. We should never be ashamed of him. So let's minister grace to other people. Okay, so, so then number two, God says that we also should have our speech seasoned with salt. And so we need seasoned speech, not just gracious speech, but we need to sprinkle in a little salt, season in a little salt bay action going on. All right, we need to sprinkle in a little bit of salt to have seasoned speech. And listen, salt is one of the most incredible substances on this planet. It's all through the Bible, which is really interesting to me. It's overwhelming all that God says about salt. Now, This morning, we don't have time to run every reference for salt in the Bible, but I'm going to give you a handful of them because the way we understand what what the Apostle Paul is writing is we study out salt and say, what does it mean to have speech that's with grace always seasoned with salt? What does that really mean? So let's study it through the scriptures. Number one, salt was used to season the meat offerings of the Old Testament and salt represented God's covenant. Okay, so salt was used to season an offering, and it was used to represent God's covenant. Now, many of you know that salt is one of those things that just doesn't lose its effectiveness, right? It doesn't lose its its savor. It salt, it just kind of has a way of always being salt. You know, I mean it just it just it's salt. You can find old salt, it still works. Salt, salt, you know? And and so it, it is a good. It's a good thing in the Bible because it's symbolic of something that doesn't lose its savor. It's symbolic of something that's eternal, God's promises. If you go back to Leviticus 2, verse 13, how many of you love the book of Leviticus? You ever read that? It's got some wacky stuff in it, right? I mean, it's got all these priests and offerings, and man, there's just so much detail. And the New Testament complimentary book is the book of Hebrews, Leviticus and Hebrews kind of. Kind of connect together. And all those Old Testament sacrifices and offerings, they were all ultimately fulfilled in Christ. You know, He is our sacrifice. In Leviticus 2, verse 13, the Bible teaches about a meat offering. And and actually, when it uses the word meat, it's not talking about like beef or or an animal um, offering, it's talking about grain or flour. And so in Leviticus 2 and verse 13, every oblation of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt, neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering with all thine offerings. Thou shalt offer what? Salt. And, and again, if you were to go to Second Chronicles, I don't think I put the, the, the reference on the, the, the screen, but in Second Chronicles 13 and verse five, God talks about a covenant. Of salt. And so they were to offer these offerings because Israel had some promises from God. They had a covenant with God. And when they they brought those offerings, they would sprinkle in salt because it represented God's eternal promise. It's something that that doesn't lose its savor. It is representative that God keeps his word to us. We should keep our word to God. That's what it represents. And so salt was used in the offering. Number two, salt was used to heal. The waters at Jericho. And this is the story of Elisha. When, when you study uh, some of the prophets in the Old Testament, you had Elijah. You guys remember Elijah and the prophets of Baal? Well, the guy that took over after Elijah was caught up was this man, Elisha. And in 2 Kings 2, verses 19 to 21, this is right after the story of where Elijah went up. And so they're at Jericho, which, by the way, was a cursed city. God, God said all the way back, I think in Exodus or, or in Joshua, it was in Joshua, hey, Jericho's destroyed. Whoever rebuilds this city is, is cursed. I mean, this is a cursed place, a cursed city. And so somebody did rebuild it. I, I've got his name in my, my notes. It's, that's not the point. So, so Elisha is at Jericho and it says, the men of the city said to Elisha, behold, I pray thee, the situation of this city is pleasant. As my Lord seeth, look at our awesome city. But the water is not, and the ground is barren. So our water source is jacked up. It's tainted. It's it's not allowing us to harvest and grow uh, crops. And he, Elisha said, "'Bring me a new cruise and put salt therein.' Hmm. And they brought it in, and he went forth unto the spring of the waters, and he cast the salt in there. And he said, "'Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters.' There shall be not from thence any more death or barren land. God used salt. He used a prophet bringing salt to a spring of water to bring about healing. No more death, no more barrenness in the land. The waters were healed through salt. And I think that's a very interesting picture for us. There's there's a picture that's being painted. There are sources of death and barrenness in our life. There are sources of death and barrenness. There are things that, although our life may seem pleasant, well, at the end of the day, if you look close enough, there's some things that just aren't growing like they should. Uh, there's, There's barrenness. There's unfruitfulness. Well, how do you fix that? You take the salt of God's Word and you put it in the source of your problems, You put it at the source of your problem and let the salt of God's word bring about healing and restoration. And listen, church, I cannot tell you how many times I have sat through counseling sessions and listen, people come into my office and make appointments and we talk about their life and it is so important and I'm compassionate. Here's what's going on, man. And and here is the barrenness and here is the brokenness in my heart, in my life, in my family, in my finances. Listen, take God's Word and apply it to the source of your problem. And guess what will happen? God will bring healing. He'll bring healing. Why? Because God's Word is that powerful. It brings about healing to the brokenhearted and to the broken lives. Listen, all you need is that book. All you need is that book and a right relationship, and God can bring about healing in your life. Number three, salt was valuable to the house of God. Salt was valuable to the house of God. And we get to Ezra chapter seven. And, and what's happening in Ezra is the rebuilding of the, the temple, the house of God, it had been destroyed because of Israel's backsliddenness toward the Lord. And so in Ezra seven, there's a king named Artaxerxes. And in verse 21, the Bible says, I, even I, Artaxerxes the king, do make a decree to all the treasurers which are beyond the river. "...that whatsoever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, shall require of you, it shall be done speedily." So Ezra's leading kind of the rebuilding project concerning the temple. And this, and this Gentile king says, okay, whatever that guy says, you give it to him. Uh, this, this Gentile king is paving paying for, for the restoration of the temple. He says in verse 22, "...to a, a hundred talents of silver, to a hundred measures of wheat, to a hundred baths of wine, to a hundred baths of oil... And salt, without prescribing how much, whatever he wants as it relates to salt, give it to him. Well, what if he wants a lot? Give it to him. Give him all the salt that he wants. Why? Because salt has value in the house of God. He says in verse 23, Whatsoever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be be diligently done For the house of the the God of heaven, why should there be wrath against the realm of the kings and his sons? Artaxerxes recognized there's one true God. He's the God of heaven. And his house needs to be appropriate. It needs to be financed. It needs to be funded. It needs to be restored. Whatever the cost, I'm going to cover it. And listen, give them all the salt they want. Why? Because again, it's a picture of God's Word. It's a picture of God's promises. It's a picture of restoration. It's a picture of healing. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15 that the house of God is the church of the living God in the New Testament. So so God doesn't dwell in a physical structure like He did in the Old Testament. God dwells in a body of believers. And what? What the house of God needs, it needs the salt of God's word. It needs the salt of God's word. Why? Because every offering was to be offered with salt. Because healing comes about because of salt. Yeah, yeah. there's burn. Yeah, you ever got salt in the wound, right? We use that, that phrase, uh, which leads to the next point. Salt in the Bible was used as an antiseptic. It was used medicinally. It was used as an antiseptic. And Ezekiel 16 and verse 4, and this is really a prophecy concerning Jerusalem. But the Bible says in verse 4, "As for thy nativity, in the day thou was born, thy navel was not cut, neither was thou washed in water to supple thee. Thou was not salted at all, nor swaddled at all." And again, if you if you read the verse, you know that it's talking about an infant being born. And those of you that have children know that. Listen, when, when a baby's born, you cut their umbilical cord and, and you have to apply ointment to that thing. Well, listen, in the Old Testament, the way they did that and, and sanitized that and, and used antiseptic on that was with salt. It was with salt. And so again, salt is used for healing. It's used for offerings. It's an antiseptic. Lastly, salt has to be applied. It has to be applied for healing, for seasoning, for, for antiseptic. It has to be applied. Listen, And I think this is the difference between the gracious words of God and the seasoned words of God. Because you can have the gracious words of God in your life and never apply them. But the minute you start applying them, well, that's when it becomes salt. That's when it becomes salt. That's what burns sometimes. You can sit through a sermon and fill your blanks in and never take any additional thought to what God's trying to give you. But when you go home and actually spend some time in God's Word based on what you heard at church, you take those gracious words and begin to apply them to your life practically and make changes and choices and decisions based on what this book says. all of a sudden, those gracious words, they're seasoned with salt now. And it burns a little bit, doesn't it? Listen, when you sit through discipleship and you sit across the table from a guy that's taking God's Word and pouring it into your life, it sounds really good until you have to actually do what God's Word says. And then then there's this moment of crisis. There's this moment of of pain because we don't like change. There's this moment of discomfort. Uh, There's this moment of doubt. And yet, when you begin to apply the gracious words of God into your life, the application into your life. Yeah, it burns a little bit. Sometimes it hurts. But listen, it always brings about health and healing. It always does. It always does because God's word is perfect. Mark chapter 9 and verse 50 says this. It's not on the screen. It says, salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltness, wherewith will you season it? Have salt in yourselves. Well, that's the application taking God's gracious words and then actually applying them. That's what makes my job a little difficult at times because I can give you everything that God's word says, but you have to apply it in your own life by faith. You have to take what God's word says for your life and apply it by faith. Salt burns, man, and listen, I know, I sit through sermons, I listen to sermons, and when I listen to sermons, I'm like, ah, it, it's good, these are gracious words until there's that open wound that, that God's trying to get my attention, and God starts pouring the salt in, and, and I've got I've to heed that, right? I've got to respond to that. Okay, so we're called to have gracious speech toward other people. We are called to have speech seasoned with salt, and that means, well, it may get uncomfortable, but at the end of the day, it brings about healing. It, it brings about restoration. As we saw in Leviticus, it brings about worship. It brings about worship to a holy God. Okay. And then number three, let's get out of here real quick. All right. Number three, we've got to have a prepared speech. So God says we need to have gracious words, gracious speech, seasoned with salt. It's always with grace. It's seasoned with salt. And then the last part of verse six says this, that ye may know how ye ought to answer Every man, And this is such a simple verse in your Bible, but I'm telling you, I wish I had like three weeks to preach this this one verse, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So God wants us to have a prepared speech. We need to know how to answer every man. In other words, we have to have the know-how. By the way, if you're a student of the Bible and you want a good word study this week, study out the the phrase, know-how through the New Testament, and you will find some amazing truths about God's desire for you to know how to do some things. And and one of the things God's desire for us to know how to do is how to answer every man. We need to know how to do that. Uh, Sometimes when you're dealing with people, more grace needs to be applied. Sometimes more salt needs to be applied. You need to know how to do that. You can't just walk around with your 50-pound bag of, of salt and you're one cup of grace and say, man, I'm about to give it to you. <laughs> I'm about to give it to you. It's always with grace. It's seasoned with salt. But just like any good meal, sometimes you got to add a little more salt. You know, You just sometimes got to add a little more salt. Sometimes you don't need as much salt. God wants you to be salty, right? God also wants you to be prepared. And I think this is more important. When you're prepared, you know how to be salty and not be salty. Okay, so look, here it is. Uh, how, do, how do we, again, man, I, I feel like this is so simple, but I don't want you to miss the point. Do you know how to answer every man? Like, like would, you, would you be able to, in any situation, answer any question that any man would have about the person of Jesus Christ? Now, you're going to have religious people that would ask you questions and argue with you, You're going to have people that have no clue about Jesus and who he is, that that he even exists. Would you know how you should answer every man? I didn't say, would you answer every man? The verse says that you may know how to answer every man. And that's where we get in trouble. A lot of times we don't have a problem opening our mouth. The question is, do we really answer correctly? Do we know how to answer? So I'm going to give you some things that will help you, I think, in your walk with the Lord. Be prepared to give an answer to every man. Number one, prepared speech is based on proper study. It's based on proper study. You will never know how to answer until you get this thing of studying the Word of God down in your heart and life. Proverbs 15 and verse 23 says, A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season. How good it is. Man, when you say the right thing at the right time, it's just good. Look Look at Proverbs 15 and verse 28. The heart of the righteous, listen, studieth to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pour out reports out evil things. And again, I, this church knows this church knows that we're supposed to study. Uh, now we know that but the heart of the righteous studieth to answer. So so if we're not studying, the truth is we're not ready to answer. We don't know how to answer. So maybe instead of opening our mouth, saying what we think, maybe we should say, hey, that's a really good question. Let me go study that. Let me go study that. Let me come back from the Word and and give you an answer next week on that in a couple of days. Don't just, do do you see where this thing's going? There there has to be some know-how. Do you think, do you think the guy preaching studied this week? Okay, now, now if I didn't, do you think you would be able to know? Now, I know that you've sat here and thought, yeah, he, he, he didn't have much time to say this week. I, there, there are times where you've legitimately been able to say that, and I agree. But I'm just telling you, look, uh, the heart of the righteous studies to answer. When we study, we are already getting in God's Word so that we know how to respond rightly. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. You and I have the same commandment to study. Just because I'm the pastor, I'm the preacher, I'm not commissioned more or less to study. We're all commissioned to study God's word. Okay, Proverbs 16 and verse 1 says this, the preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from who? Okay, so, so if, if we're called to know how to answer every man, that only comes from God which means that we have to get his answers from the Word of God. We, we, have to, we have to invest time in the Word of God. Proverbs 22, verse 20 and 21, this is one of the greatest verses in your Bible. The question is, Have I not written to thee excellent things and counsels and knowledge that I may make, known, uh, make thee know the certainties of the words of truth? Stop right there. The writer of Proverbs is saying, Have I not written unto you excellent things in counsels and knowledge that I may make thee to know the certainty of the words of truth? God wrote it so that you and I can know it. And then the verse says, That thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. To answer. You need to know that these are certain words, that God's given you these words, that he wrote these words. They are the words of truth. You need to know them for yourself so that you can answer those who God brings across your path. You know, the sad reality is in our culture of Christianity, and please hear this with gracious ears, the sad reality in our culture of Christianity is that most Christians won't speak up because they don't know how to answer. Can you receive that with grace this morning? The other side of that coin is, the sad reality is that most Christians do speak up, but they still don't know how to answer. They don't know how to answer. Well, they're talking a lot. (laughs) Well, that doesn't mean it's the right answer. So prepared speech is based on proper study. That's why you need to be discipled. Did I mention that earlier? I hadn't mentioned discipleship in like two weeks. I feel like I need to... That's why you need to be discipled, so you can learn to get in the Word of God, and you can know the certainty of God's words, and you can have a walk of faith with Jesus, and He can bring about healing and restoration in your life, and then you can share that with other people. It's that simple. Number two, prepared speech gives us the discernment on how to answer. It allows us to discern how to answer other people. And on this point, what I did was pull out of Proverbs 26, verses 4 to 5. If you've ever read this passage, you've kind of threw the question mark up, kind of like I did. Here's what Proverbs 26, verses 4 to 5 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. And then the very next verse says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Okay, have you ever read the Bible and thought, what? (laughs) What? Do I answer the fool or do I not answer the fool? Either way, I know there's fools. (laughs) You can walk away without assurance. Which is it? I mean, do you answer a fool or not? Well, the answer is yes, but the answer is also no. How do you know? Well, if you're prepared, you, you can discern how to answer you can also discern who to answer. Does that make sense? So in your, in your notes, I put a couple of verses. You know, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 23. I know this comes as a shocker, but there are people that ask questions that don't genuinely want to know the answer. There are people that ask questions that don't ge- genuinely want to know the right answer. They just want to troll you and, and waste your time. So 2 Timothy 2 verse 23 says this, but foolish And unlearned questions, what does God say to do that? Avoid. Knowing that they do gender what? There is such a thing as a foolish question. There is such a thing as unlearned questions. If you prepare yourself with gracious words seasoned with salt, and you've spent the time studying, guess what? You're going to be able to recognize what really is a foolish question. Titus 3 and verse 9 says, But avoid foolish questions and genealogies, and contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are what? Unprofitable and vain. Quit wasting your time on the internet. (laughs) Quit wasting your time arguing with internet trolls. Quit wasting your time arguing with human trolls in front of you that aren't asking learned questions. Use discernment. I'm not wasting my time. I'm not wasting God's word on somebody that really doesn't want an answer. As a matter of fact, if you study Jesus Christ's ministry, there came a point in his ministry when the Pharisees accused him of being the devil and possessed by Beelzebub and all the miracles that he was doing, they gave credit to Satan instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord quit teaching. He quit teaching them plainly and he began teaching them in parables so that they wouldn't understand. Why? Why? because they were asking foolish and unlearned questions. Okay, so when you're prepared, you can, you can discern. Do I answer the fool or not answer the fool? Well, you answer or don't answer based on whether or not it's a foolish or not foolish question. And you spend your time there. And then, and then lastly is this. Look, prepared speech is speech that's ready to answer. It's ready to answer. It's ready to answer. And, and we get this out of 1 Peter chapter 3. And verse 15, the Bible says, "...but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready..." And the next word is really important. "...be ready..." uh, Just when it's convenient. Uh, Just just after you study that thing out for six months. Uh, "...be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear..." Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Be ready, always, to give an answer. Now, listen. I, I know when I teach a passage like this and teach a sermon like this, that some of us right now are sitting in the room saying, "Man, don't call on me. Don't 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 ask me a question from the don't. Please don't even look my way in the room. I'm not ready. I know that." And I, I'm not ready for every question either, so we're good. <laughs> but I will say that the more that you study, the more time you walk with God, the more you go through discipleship, the, the more you apply those truths to your life, that's what prepares you. That's what prepares you to, to give an answer. It's not that you just get like, all this stuff memorized and you have a head full of information. No, what brings life to it is the fact that you've applied it to your life. And listen, those are the strongest lessons that we can communicate to other people. What God has done in your life are the things that are the most easy to communicate to other people. The truths, the the scriptures that that are most personal to you, the truths that are most powerful to you, the things where when you were like Jericho, broken down and barren and unfruitful, and God used a passage, God used a sermon, God used a conversation, God used a discipleship lesson in your life to bring about healing and to bring about forgiveness and fruitfulness. Those are the things that, listen, you can answer strongly and graciously on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you've experienced it, right? You've experienced it. So the point is, don't ever stop growing. Don't ever stop growing. Don't ever stop growing. Continue this walk with the Lord because it's a gift. It is just a gift. It's not a burden. It's not a a ball and chain. It is a wonderful relationship that is eternal. And so enjoy it. Enjoy it now so that you can enjoy it for eternity. And along the way, have an impact in other people's lives. And so in closing, look, I I put just a couple of things in my notes. Number one, do you have gracious speech? You know, grace is unmerited favor. It's rooted in God's Word. Is your speech gracious? And and the problem in that verse for me is the same problem it is for you. It says that our speech is to be always with grace. Why'd you have to put that in there, God? (laughs) I mean, it's grace. It's gracious, you know, 25% of the time. God says always with grace, that includes our marriages, that includes our children, that includes on our job, in our ministries, with our ministry teams, whoever we're leading, it's always to be gracious. And then secondly, season with salt. And listen, again, I'm just making a practical application. What of God's gracious words have you personally applied to your life? Where's the application? You may be sitting in this sermon today and say, man, this sermon's a little salty. (laughs) You, You took the lid off, Jay, and dumped a little too much salt. Okay, no, that wasn't the point. But it is supposed to be a little salty. It is supposed to burn a little because we need to apply these things to our life. And then lastly, look, do we have prepared speech? Do we spend the time in the Bible? Listen, we have conversations all the time. You have them at work. I have them in the community. We have conversations with lost people. And there are things that come up, different doctrinal issues, different questions. If you pay attention, it's the same things that kind of keep coming up over and over and over. Well, if we hear the same things, let's study so that we're ready to answer. Let's study. Listen, if, if, if somebody from a cult religion knocked on your door and tried to propagate their false gospel to you and to your family, could you answer? Could you answer? And I'm going to call this week and turn your addresses (laughs) into a certain religious group that may be on the other side of the the neighborhood. (laughs) Expect a visit. (laughs) And I know most of your work schedules, so I'll tell them to make sure they visit during non-work hours for you. Okay, so, you know, the point is, are you prepared? And if you're not prepared, listen, put your nose in the book. Be ready. Don't do it as a laborious Man, I have to do this. Do this because you want to have a walk with God. At the end of the day, you just want to have a walk with God and grow with him. Amen. That wasn't too salty, was it? That wasn't too salty. I, I tried to season it just right. All right, let's pray, and then we'll have our uh, business meeting. Father, thank you again for the morning.